0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. So today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. You can follow along with me in your own Bibles or on the screen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. These are the true words of the living God. Thanks be to God. Help us to respond in faith.
1: Thank you, Amanda. Good morning again, everyone. Welcome, my name is Simon, I'm the pastor at RHC, and it's really wonderful to have you here today. Can I invite you to turn to someone next to you and? Greet them with a warm, Merry Christmas. Wow, good job. Good job. It's really wonderful that we have our kids with us today as well, and so we're going to have a shorter sermon. And kids, I want you to listen out carefully for some of the things I'm going to ask you later on as well. When I was a a small kid, I remember one of the cartoons that was in the newspaper and that we grew up with was Peanuts. Kids, how many of you have heard of Peanuts before? You should see uh, on the slide behind me. It had a whole host of characters, uh, like Charlie Brown and Snoopy, Lucy and Linus, and Peanuts became like a global phenomenon. In fact, I was in Japan once, and I was wondering about telling the story, and then I thought to myself, there's no way I can talk about Peanuts in Japan, Uh, and so I thought of doing something else until I Googled it, and realized like Snoopy is huge in Japan. Japanese people love Snoopy. In fact, Tokyo is the only place in the world outside of LA that has its own Snoopy museum. Charlie Brown is a really, really big deal. And in fact, it's such a big deal that this cartoon ended up introducing new language into our English vocabulary. For example, the phrase security blanket. The phrase security blanket comes from this cartoon and it's because Linus cannot go anywhere without his. He's afraid, and this is why he needs safety. And so in every Charlie Brown, Linus is always holding his blanket. Now, what many people don't know is that Charles Schultz, who was the creator of this cartoon, was a believer. And he wanted to find a way to insert his faith into his work. And so in one of the big moments in a Charlie Brown Christmas, Charles Schultz, at the very moment when the angel announces that Jesus is born, Charles Schultz introduces this mic drop moment, except that it's not a mic drop moment, Linus drops his blanket. The first time ever that he's separated and he willingly lets go is when Jesus is born. What is Charles Schultz telling us? He's telling us at Christmas, when Jesus is born, we can be safe. Jesus makes us safe and puts aside our fears. Now, this morning, I don't know what you may be afraid of. Kids, uh, maybe some of you are starting at a new school next year, maybe primary one or a new secondary school. I hear people worrying about rising house prices, a GST hike, wars around the world, or the impact of AI. Maybe all these things conspiring together to give us a general sense of fear of the future. What is your security blanket? Well, if you could unwrap one gift this year that would deal with all of your fears, and that would tell you that you're gonna be okay, what would it be? Now, if you're visiting with us this morning and you're not a Christian, you're probably thinking, I've come to church, of course the pastor's going to tell me that God must be my security blanket. All right, well done, you're thinking ahead. But I want you to notice something. In the passage that was read for us earlier, Mary sees the angel who is coming from God and how does she respond? Does she feel all warm and cozy inside and say, praise the Lord? No, she's terrified. She's afraid of God. God seeing God, God arriving, that for many of us here this morning, I don't think would make us feel safe. Many of us, as Joseph showed us earlier, are aware of our own sin, our shame at things that we've done, guilt for errors we've made. For many of us, God himself does not feel safe, particularly a holy God. But in our passage, God, through the angel, draws near to Mary and says to her, do not be afraid. And why does the angel say that? Because what the angel has come to announce to Mary is that King Jesus is coming, the heart of Christmas, the heart of what happens at Christmas can make you and I feel safe in this world and safe with God because God has come for us. Friends, this is a message that tells us that God is for us and that everything is going to be okay. And so this morning, we're going to look at three reasons why we need not fear and then one response. Firstly, we need not be afraid because King Jesus in this passage is in charge forever. Verse 32 to 33 says, the angel says he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Friends, Jesus here is spoken of as a king who will rule on the throne of David as a good king. So Jesus here is a ruler, a governor, one who has all authority. And the phrase son of the most high is a reference to Daniel 7, where it talks of a figure who's not exactly God the father, but yet perplexingly seems to have all the authority and power and dominion of God himself. And it says he will rule forever and ever with all authority, and his rule will never end, as we saw in verse 33. Friends, this means Jesus who was born is king for over everyone and everything, and his kingdom will outlast any enemy that he has. I sometimes speak to people at church who are anxious in their workplaces because their CEO or their boss is constantly changing. And you never know with a new leadership what that's going to involve, what it's going to mean for you, your team, your role, or your future. And your future seems tied up in that leader. And that, those changes are either good for you or bad, depending on whether or not that leader is a good or bad leader. Friends, here, God is in charge forever and ever, and Jesus is the one that carries that authority. Now, some of us, again, may be saying today, I don't know if that's good news or bad news. That's only good news if this Jesus is for me, is for me. And if he is, that would be exceedingly good news because it would mean that there would be no power ever who could usurp his rule no one who could pull rank on Jesus one day, no one who could outlive him, wait for him to die so that they could take over, he will be in charge forever and ever. All of which raises the important question. If God is this powerful, how do we know that God is for us and that God is good? Let's see our second point this morning. We need not be afraid because King Jesus has not overlooked us. I don't know if you noticed, but in the first verse that Amanda read for us earlier, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, friends, was a small, almost no-name town. It hardly featured on the map. We'll see a little bit later, it was known as a dark and as an oppressed place. In fact, before Christian references to Nazareth, there was no historical record of the town even existing until 1960, so that means only 60 years ago did historians ever find a reference to the city of Nazareth that existed before Jesus was associated with Nazareth. This was a very, very small place, very insignificant. In other words, the angel bypassed Jerusalem, bypassed Rome, bypassed all the leading cities And came to a poor, uneducated, teen woman in a virtually no-name town with a despised population. I can't go into all the history, but the people of Nazareth were looked down upon and despised. Friends, the equivalent would be if the angel came to Singapore and was looking to see who she could find, would probably go and find someone in a one-room rental flat. God did not arrive, the angel did not arrive and pick the beautiful and wealthy daughter of Caiaphas, but went to the opposite kind of a place. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you wandered in because you saw an advert somewhere or you looked us up online, and you're here in this mass of people and you don't know one person here. You feel all alone. Maybe you're the kind of kid at school who in PE class when they were deciding teams and who would be on which team, you were always picked last. If you're one of those people, you're the kind of person that Jesus sees and draws near to. That's where Jesus begins, that's where this story starts, in Galilee, in Nazareth. It means Jesus, friends, does not simply come for the high and the mighty, but he comes for overlooked people in overlooked places. Now, for Jewish readers, this reference to Nazareth and Galilee would have reminded them of a prophecy that Isaiah had made about 800 years before Jesus was born, from Isaiah chapter 9. And that prophecy tells us one day a child will be born. He'll come to a land of Galilee, and he will sit on the throne of David, just as our passage says, and he will be born, Uh, his mother will be from Galilee. That's where light will dawn. But it's not just about where Jesus comes. Isaiah 9 tells us the kind of ruler that Jesus is. How will Jesus relate to the people of Galilee? And it tells us he will be a tender ruler. To the oppressed, he will open the doors. To those in darkness, he will bring light. To those who've been struggling in war, he will burn every warrior's boot. It will be thrown on the fire. And what kind of a leader will he be? He will be a wise counselor. He will be a prince of peace. Yes, he will be the mighty God who's in charge, but he will represent the everlasting father. In other words, friends, this King Jesus is coming to rule and to govern, as Isaiah 9 says, with a peace and a wisdom as an everlasting, tender-hearted father, not a big ruler coming to push down the little people. Now friends, when we stop and think about our own lives, we probably recognize that, that so much that's wrong with our own lives, and that is wrong in the world, is because we identify as those who are not cared for, those who are frequently overlooked, and those who have no one looking out for us. Much of our fear is driven by feeling, no one's looking out for me. And therefore we have to secure our future ourselves. And friends, it's this fear in all of us that makes this world so insecure. Normally around this time of year, you see those viral videos where people are queuing up for those sales, like after Christmas sales or whatever it is, and they start fighting and they're like in queues and they're trying to get the best deal that they can. I mean, it seems ridiculous to see, right? And yet there's a fear there. Someone doesn't want to lose out. They're taking matters into their own hands and it looks really ugly when you see it. But friends, this same impulse, I think, is found in every one of us to varying degrees. When we have one beautiful, exquisite, Panettone cake in our kitchen, and the slices are going quickly, and I realize I haven't had as much as I want, that same impulse begins to kick kick in. I begin to look, I'm paying close attention, I don't want to be too rude about it, but I want to secure my rights. I'm afraid of losing out. Friends, we often react because of fears like this. And this happens in the world on just a far bigger scale. We, we think this world is a zero-sum game. Our insecurity, our fears results in our conflicts at work, afraid someone else will, will get ahead of us, interpersonal conflicts at home, It's the greed behind why house prices rise with people speculating. It's the same impulse that leads nations to go to war. Friends, I want us to see that what may present in our hearts as fear often harms, ultimately ends up harming us and those that we love so much as well. And the Bible shows us that these actions are actually sinful because they're rooted in a lack of faith that God is who he says he is, that God is good, that God's in charge, that God loves us, that God will satisfy us. Friends, if we believe Jesus was like this and was truly in charge, we could breathe out a deep sigh of relief and relax. So some of us may be thinking this morning, is God really like that? Is God really loving and strong? What about all those churches that talk about God being holy? What about God judging sin? And what does that mean for me if I know that I've sinned against God? And this brings us to our third reason why at Christmas we need not fear. We need not be afraid because King Jesus does the impossible. I'm sure that in this room this morning with so many of us, there are varying levels of skepticism. Some of you may have been invited, you don't believe in the Christian faith, and you're thinking, Simon, you're talking about God taking on flesh, this seems impossible. Or maybe you agree in principle, God could be you know, loving and, and kind, but you say, not to me. You don't understand what I'm like. You don't know the things that I've done. You know, kids, it's kind of like if you know that you've done something really bad and then the school principal comes like knocking on your classroom door and you suddenly are full of fear. You don't want to see the principal because you know you've done something wrong. Friends, there's a sense in which every human being lives with this kind of sense before God. How is it that a perfectly holy God can take rebels into his kingdom and lavish them with counsel and tenderness forever and ever? This is impossible. This seems impossible. How can you and I relate to this God as king? Friends, every one of us need a mediator. We saw in our passage earlier that Mary has her own fears of God. When she initially sees the angel, she's afraid. And then, when God speaks to, when, when the angel speaks to her and tells her what's going to happen, she uh, is confused as well. She has more questions. How can this be, since I'm a virgin? How can a child of mine be the everlasting God, rule on the throne of David forever and ever? This all seems impossible to Mary. Friends, I want to tell us this morning that the answer to Mary's question, the impossibility of her situation, is the same answer that answers the skepticism we have about God, the question we have about how a holy God can receive us. In fact, friends, I put it to us this morning, in fact, the impossibility of Christmas is why you and I can take hope in Christmas. Let me say that again. It's the impossibility of Christmas that is why you and I can take hope and have our fears relieved. What do I mean? There is something so otherworldly about Christmas that anything that we could hope in, that we could do or manufacture or solve ourselves is not really gonna deal with our deepest problems. What do I mean? Friends, many of us love solving problems. We seek so many solutions in this world, but none of them are able to deal with our deepest problems. Throughout history, people have thought for years and years that technology is gonna solve some of our deepest problems. People have predicted years ago that every human being by this stage in history will only be doing one day of work a week because technology will make all our problems go away and we'll only have to work one day a week. I know some of you are still hoping for that, not sure that it's going to happen anytime soon. Or people have predicted, because of the internet, there'll be no more war anymore. Because people will be able to communicate so quickly uh, across the world that all misunderstandings will be resolved. Yes, friends, we all thank God for technology. Technology helps us in so many ways. But technology cannot fix our hearts. We unfortunately see technology often only amplifies the sin that is already in our hearts. Social media hasn't exactly made the world a better place. In fact, as someone once said, making people more articulate and more capable does not make them better people. It just makes them better at being what they already are. The problem, friends, is our hearts. In sin, it doesn't trust God. We rely upon ourselves, our fears are amplified, and we live for ourselves. But friends, the message of Christmas is that God has not come to give us new technology, but God has come to do something impossible that only he can do. For Mary, the thing that she thinks makes what the angel is telling her impossible, her virginity, is the very thing that is necessary for God's plan to unfold. What do I mean? God tells Mary that the reason she's a virgin is that her child is going to be no ordinary child. God himself is going to come and take on flesh. Verse 35 tells us, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then verse 37, for nothing will be impossible for God. What is the angel saying? Friends, the Holy Spirit is going to come himself and conceive this child. And so Mary's son, Jesus, will be fully God and fully man. Because Jesus will be fully God, he will reign forever and ever. There'll be no higher authority. He will be fully in charge. And yet, as a man, Jesus will be able to do what you and I have failed to do and turn our hearts back to God. How will Jesus turn our hearts back to God? He will live rightly, perfectly before God for us. The perfect man, never sinned, was never afraid for himself because he didn't trust God, never had to hide in shame, and therefore he can represent us perfectly to God. But secondly, Jesus will die on a cross for our sins so that our sin and shame can be taken away from us and removed so that we can now draw near to God without fear. We can come to him clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and then he will rise to be present with us forever as our mighty God ruling forever and ever. Friends, this is why the only solution to our deepest problem of our hearts having turned from God is something impossible. And that is something God Himself comes to do. God coming to do what you and I cannot do for ourselves, to wrap Himself in flesh so that He can wrap you and I in the security blanket of His love in Jesus. Friends, Jesus has come for us. And this means we now can know for certain that he is in charge, he's strong, he's even conquered death. He's absolutely for us, he's not overlooked anyone. Therefore, we need not fear anything in life. God is for us. He promises to care for us and to one day heal this entire creation. We may be in trouble this morning, friends. We may have sinned. We may lose our jobs, but we will never lose God, and He will one day wipe away every tear. Now, we've seen three reasons, friends, why Christmas and the birth of Jesus means we need not be afraid. But the final question we must ask is, how do we respond to this this morning? And I want to tell us as we end that we can have our fears removed by receiving Jesus. I want you to notice here, Mary was not all overjoyed immediately. It seems as though before she could fully comprehend all of this, she was probably thinking about the short term implications of what the angel had said. I'm sure before she was thinking about the rule of God forever and ever, wiping away every tear, she was probably thinking, But I'm a teenager, I'm not married, I'm in a small town, I'm about to have a child. This is gonna get very awkward very, very quickly. She was greatly troubled. The reality is there were short-term huge implications for Mary. Friends, maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling somewhat destabilized hearing that there is a king like this in the world. You've lived your own way. You've lived as though you're the king of your own life. You've taken charge and control of everything so that you minimize as many of your fears as possible. What would it look like for you to bow your knee to this king this morning? What would that destabilize in your life? This king is good. And so we can see Mary's response. In verse 37 to 38, Mary says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What does this mean? Friends, this means Mary is desiring for God's word, his promises, to become reality in her own life. She's saying, that sounds wonderful. This may be difficult in the short term, but I receive, Jesus, what you're saying to me. Count me in. Friends, Mary here is responding with faith. Faith here lays hold of God's promises. It lays a hold of God. It puts our souls at rest. It's how we draw near to God. If I were to say to you this morning, there's a million dollars in your bank, without faith, you would never go and check. You would never make a withdrawal from it. But if you believed me with faith, you would go, and you would find what I've told you was true, if it was true, unfortunately it's not this morning, and you would begin to live in the benefits of that. But it would take faith for you to act. Friends, I'm inviting you this morning to respond, whether you're a Christian and you need to trust God in a deeper way, whether you're a non-Christian who's exploring the Christian faith, I'm inviting you to respond the way Mary responded, to draw near to God this morning by faith. Treat him as though he's real. Treat his word, what he promised you, as though it's true. Believe his promise. Put your fears at rest. What destructive behaviors either to yourself or to others, would you stop if you really believed Jesus was in charge and good and came for you? Now before we wrap up this morning, I know that some here think, faith? What could be more old fashioned than faith? I want to just address you for one or two minutes before we close. Friends, I want to tell you that every single one of us in this world live by faith at some level. You may be here this morning, you may not be a Christian, but I want to put it to you that you probably do believe in faith in some ways. There are some who say, I don't believe in faith, I simply believe in science. Friends, science operates on assumptions of natural laws that are consistent across time and space. This underlying premise of science is an assumption that can't be proven, it's a foundational belief. It can't be empirically tested and proven, or maybe, You're not a Christian and don't believe in God, but you care very much about how people are treated. You have a humanistic ethical framework and you really believe in things like human rights or justice, equality. But friends, these things can't be empirically proven. They can't be shown in a lab. They must be based upon some kind of belief that people are valuable and precious. There's faith at work there, friends. Or maybe you simply hold to a naturalistic worldview that assumes the origin of the universe can be explained by natural processes. The belief in a purely natural cause for the universe's existence, friends, is a foundational assumption that again cannot be empirically proven. As somebody once said, you can believe in the virgin birth of Jesus or the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. Friends, we all need faith. We all have faith underneath all of our views, but as Christians, we're explicit about them. We believe God made this world as we heard this morning. We believe this God is the basis for why every human has dignity and has come, and we believe this God has come in flesh at Christmas to save us from our sins and bring us into a glorious future. Friends, Mary was invited to participate in true hope, which she received and she believed by faith, so can you. So where do you stand today? Will you believe in the promises of God? Friends, let's see the baby Jesus. Let's drop our blankets. Let's breathe out and Merry Christmas. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, when we read the Christmas story and we see what you have done for us, we confess we are often bewildered. This seems too good to be true. It seems truly, as Mary said, this seems impossible. And yet when we see the impossibility of the plight of our own sin, we see your character and your love for us and your holiness, we know it will only take something impossible for us to be redeemed. And that impossibility finds its origin in the heart of our everlasting Father, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, our Prince of Peace. And so this morning, we draw near to you by faith. We believe your word and we ask you to put all of our fears to rest as we gaze upon your son Jesus who was born in a manger who died for our sins, rose again, and is now at your right hand, and who will reign forever and ever. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would grant us faith, you would increase our faith, that we may walk out of here with a sense of joy and gladness in you today, and we ask this in his name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.